I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k flats. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Weekend. I'm KG. Quiet, please. Are you ready for the big show? Right. In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved Republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Live now. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's Conspiracy Theory Thursday on the Radio Northwest Network, and it's my pleasure to be with you. I want to start, as I usually do, with questions. And one of them happens to be our poll on X, what we used to call the Twitter poll. Should children be removed from parents who are taking dangerous, illegal drugs? Now, I know that some of you are going to say, well, Lars, that's a stupid question. Who in the world would actually say that you should return a child to a parent, mom or dad or both, who are hooked on dangerous, illegal drugs? Now, before I get a call from somebody from the 420 crowd, we're not talking about pot. Pot is legal, although I think pot has its own hazards like psychosis. But what we're talking about is who in the world would put a child back in the hands of parents who are addicted to dangerous, illegal narcotics? And you know what the answer to the question is? As usual, it's the Democrats. Now, I know that some of you are going to say, well, Lars, you always blame the Democrats for everything. Hey, it was the Democrats' piece of legislation, and it has a warm, fuzzy name. I'll give you all the details of it later. But literally, they passed a law within the last couple of years that said no matter what, the most important thing is reuniting families. So even if daddy, in this case, has a really dangerous drug problem, even if the child was born with fentanyl in the child's system, you must put that child back in daddy's hands, even though he's still an addict. And I hate to tell you this, but the bad news is the child in this case, and I will give you details within this hour, the child ended up dying as a result of state policy. As a result, and you have to you have to label it as a result of dangerous policies introduced by our friends in the Democrat Party. Should children be removed from parents who are taking dangerous, illegal drugs? Remember, it's both of those. I know if you're taking a pharmacy prescription, that's not what we're talking about. If you're talking about pot, which is legal, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about dangerous, illegal street drugs. 
and daddy or mommy is still addicted and you put the kid back in their hands and what could possibly go wrong? You can find today's poll on X at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. Brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at UltimateTruckService.com. Now. If you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, and Conspiracy Theory Thursday is not a bad day to do it. We usually get some interesting theories out there. Occasionally, I even have one as well. But if you want to jump in, it's 866-HEY-LARS. And if you happen to be a naysayer, we'll put you right to the head of the list at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com and vote in our poll on X. Should kids be removed from parents who are taking dangerous, illegal drugs? Sounds like a well-duh. Well, apparently not to the D party. The D party thinks, no, kids go back to parents. They are the property of parents. Until it's time for the state to start indoctrinating them about their gender and their pronouns and their sexuality and everything else. Until that point, they are, they belong to their parents, like a piece of property that you're trying to remove. Whether it's good for that piece of property or not, that's the way they view it. Now, you want something crazier? Here's a crazier question. Are jaywalking laws racist? And should we legalize jaywalking? And again, I hate to have to tell you this, but it's another Democrat idea. Introduced as a potential law in the legislature in Olympia in this case, and we'll talk about that, state lawmakers want to make it harder for police to stop people from jaywalking in all of Washington state. State Senator Rebecca Saldana, a sponsor of Senate Bill 5383, says there's new research about who gets stopped for jaywalking. Now, she's a Democrat. She's introduced a bill. She's against a law being enforced because of who gets stopped. What do you want to guess is the reason she's objecting? Because she says the studies say that enforcement of jaywalking laws does not stop people from getting hit by cars. I mean, she seems to be some, coming from the same crowd of people like Karine Jean-Pierre, who says razor wire on the border doesn't stop illegals from coming in. It only puts the CBP at greater risk. I mean, I, I have a tough time wrapping my head around the Democrat logic, but it's out there and it's endlessly entertaining. Dangerous, but endlessly entertaining. She says jaywalking enforcement does not keep people from getting hit by cars or even reduce it. And she says, but here's the key part for a Democrat like Rebecca Saldana, jaywalking laws disproportionately impact black people and those who are unhoused. Well, on the second point, I'd probably agree with her. If you're living next to Interstate 5 or I-405 or I-205, you're living right next to a freeway and you like to get high or get drunk and there's a street right there and there's something on the other side you want to get to and you decide to walk across in the middle of the night and sadly get hit by a car, yeah, the unhoused are at a special risk, but I'm not sure getting rid of the jaywalking laws is going to stop that. But here's what Rebecca Saldana is proposing. Senate Bill 5383, she calls it the free-to-walk bill. I, she should call it the free-to-jaywalk bill. Would amend the current law and allow pedestrians to cross a roadway with a posted speed of 45 miles an hour or less, as long as crossing does not impede the flow of traffic. So, she wants to encourage people to go ahead and jaywalk at speeds of speeds of automobiles up to 45 miles an hour. If passed and adopted, 
anyone stopped by the police for jaywalking could only be stopped if they are creating an immediate risk for themselves or others. Now, it's funny because about 30 years ago, I was going up to Seattle. I, I went up occasionally, and I had some friends tell me who had lived in Seattle or did live in Seattle. They said, Lars, if you come up here, watch out because Seattle is notorious for being tough on jaywalking. Because they knew that in Portland, they already allowed a lot of jaywalking. And as a result, more more people get into accidents. So they knew that if I went up there and thought, well, there's nobody coming. The light isn't in my favor as a pedestrian, but I'll go ahead and cross. It's safe to cross. They said, you're going to get a ticket. Seattle was notorious for it back then. Guess what? Places like Kansas City, Denver, Anchorage, they've already decriminalized jaywalking. Well, that's a falsehood anyway, because... There is no chance of going to jail for jaywalking, but Como chose to report it that way, saying it's decriminalized. If you jaywalk, you get a ticket. You are not going to jail. The police chief in Anchorage says that changing the jaywalking law puts more responsibility on drivers to be alert. What is that saying? You're going to have a lot of people crossing against the light, crossing in dangerous places, jaywalking in front of you. He says it's going to put the drivers on alert. How about putting the pedestrians on alert? Don't walk across the street when it's dangerous and don't walk against the light. I mean, we've already legalized it for bicycles to run red lights and stop signs and all the rest of that. And now we're telling people, go ahead and jaywalk. I mean, maybe it's a population reduction measure. I don't know. But it's one more crazy idea from the D side of the aisle, in this case, in Olympia. It is, consp it is uh, Conspiracy Theory Thursday, and your calls are welcome at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And this segment of the show brought to you our friends that protect power. When the lights go out, you got to have backup power. Go to Protect Power. Call 541-ONA-GEN. That's 541-ONA-GEN. And you're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Broadcasting from his socially distanced bunker to yours, it's sanitized entertainment. Here's Lars Larson. 
That makes a lot of sense. A lot of nonsense. Right. You're bloody well right. You know you got a right to say. This is the Northwest Nonsense. How much longer do we have to sit for this nonsense? That great moment every day where Lars brings you the cold, hard facts without any liberal wokeness from the daily dead, fish wrapper, or mainstream media bias. Lame duck mayor, feckless Ted Wheeler, takes a page out of Joe Biden's book in this week's victory lap on violent crime. Yesterday, Mayor Wheeler called in reporters to tell them we're trending in the right direction. Well, let's check the statistics on that. The first year that feckless Ted took office, 20 murders. Last year, more than three and a half times that number. It's only down from the record high of 95 that was created by Mayor Wheeler's mismanagement, including defunding the police that he voted for. It's the Joe Biden kind of lie. Gas is down from the record high he created. Same for groceries. Mortgage rates more than double, but down from an earlier Biden high. When it comes to shootings, Ted Braggs were down almost 300 in 2023 over 2022. Except that 2022 saw 1,300 shootings, eight times as many as the year that Ted became mayor. And that was only 2017 and when Portland began sliding downhill fast. And it's not just crime. 75 people died in traffic crashes and pedestrian fatals, up 88% in one year. Wheeler reminds me of one of those cheesy furniture store sales. You know the ones where prices are 75% off right after the store jacks them up so that 75% off is still charging too much. And if you wonder why this guy ain't running for re-election, Portland can't afford the body bags it would need for one more term of Teddy. Our question of the day, this one comes in from our friend John Lee. Is there any point to spending $200 million to study the idea of high-speed rail in the Northwest if the route that it's going to take is regularly closed by slides? We got news today, debris from a landslide south of Kelso, Washington, halted Amtrak passenger service for the third time in just a few days. They say, well, it's because of the bad weather and the rain and a housing development on top of a bluff. The slide happened in the same location as the last two slides in just a matter of days, and they want to put a high-speed bullet train up that corridor? you got to be kidding me. Now today's Daily Grill. Insane. Are you completely insane? Ridiculous. They get more and more ridiculous. Flat-out dumb. You're even dumber than I thought. Who deserves today's Lars Grill of the Day? Maybe they're just really, really stupid. Find out right now. I'm going to give today's Daily Grill to the city of Seattle that has decided to pay off a lawsuit, a BLM, Black Lives Matter lawsuit. The city of Seattle is going to pay BLM $10 million. Now, what horrible thing did the city of Seattle do to BLM? Well, here's what happened. A couple of years ago, uh, in 2020, a BLM and Antifa decided to take over an entire neighborhood. They called it the CHOP or the CHAZ zone, and they had all of these protests and riots and arson and looting and at least a few murders, I want to mention. And the 50 demonstrators who brought this lawsuit say, you know, when, when our group, the group we were associated with, went out and staged this takeover of part of a city, uh, when we put other people's lives at risk, when people were murdered and all that chaos was caused, the police were too rough on us. So now those 50 are going to share in a piece of $10 million from the taxpayers. Shame on the city of Seattle.
Today's best email, but you can always send more. This one comes in from Jim. Lars, I hear the state of Oregon bragging about 2023 being the second highest graduation percentage in state history. Well, when you eliminate mathematics as a requirement to graduate, when you remove English as a requirement to graduate, when you tell the kids they don't have to show up at class and they don't have to turn in homework and they can still graduate, what do you expect? Don't throw your shoulder out patting yourself on the back too hard there, Oregon. Thanks for your time. Signed, Jim Arter. To your calls now at 866-HEY-LARS. Let's start with Jimmy. Hey, Jimmy, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Hi, Lars. Yeah, I just wanted to ask you a question about the poll question today. Uh, sure. I generally tend to agree that maybe uh, people who have children who are addicted to drugs, for the most part, shouldn't be able to have their kids or maybe they have to really show proof that they're working towards uh getting better or overcoming their addiction you mentioned 420 you're not really curious about because it's legal but how about alcohol do you think that people who consistently have duis and consistently show that they're addicted to alcohol should they have their kids removed from them yeah, uh, well, hold on, Jimmy. In some cases, yes, but that one becomes tougher to define because if if somebody is drinking a moderate amount of alcohol and then we give the state the authority to take the children away because they drink any alcohol, where do you draw the line and how bad does the alcoholic have to be? If mom or dad decides to drink a six-pack uh, one night and they get soused, but it happens one night a month, is that enough to take the kids away? Or do you have to go like my dad was, who'd come home every night from work and get drunk, and then he'd get up the next morning and go to work? So he was a functioning alcoholic. Was he the best parent? No, he wasn't. But that one's tougher to draw. So I thought I'd, I'd grab for the low-hanging fruit. The case that I was talking about involves a one-month-old baby that was found dead in a lagoon in Port Townsend. And why is the baby dead? Well, the prosecutor in Jefferson County says a new state law, the one I mentioned, uh, called the Keeping Families Together Act, said we don't decide what's best for the kid. We decide to return the child to the parent uh, above and beyond all considerations. Well, this baby was born with fentanyl in his system, so that shows there's a problem. And they gave temporary custody to the baby's father. Court documents show he passed the initial drug tests to take care of the baby. But then he stopped testing, and a few days later, he disappears with the baby. So he has a substance abuse problem, an illegal substance. I figured I'd grab for the low-hanging fruit. Even if we have to make more careful decisions about, does a severe alcoholic, should that person get a child back, that one might be tougher to define or set the limits on. But could we at least say, if you're addicted to illegal drugs and using illegal drugs, should you get your child back before you correct your problem? And I, I think that's yeah, an easy it, answer, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's. I mean, it's pretty... I, I don't think that it's as cut and dry with illegal drugs also because I, uh, I go to a lot... As a young person, I go to a lot of parties. I go to a lot of raves. And I know plenty of people who do consume drugs, and they do it maybe once every two, three months. Do they have kids? So it's also not no, as Jimmy, do dry they have kids? as... Jimmy, do they have yes, kids? Some of them, some of them do have Now, let kids. me ask you something. And when mom or dad goes to a rave and gets high on drugs, illegal drugs in that case, and then goes home, do you think they are an adequate parent, and do you think they pose a risk to their child when they're high? Oh, absolutely. Uh, most of the friends that I have leave it with mother-in-law or with grandma, and they tend to be fairly responsible. So we can't also say that 
everybody who tries a drug here and there is completely irresponsible. I well, think but, that is well, but Jimmy, Jimmy, how do you suppose that one? How do you suppose that one-month-old baby ended up with fentanyl in his system? I mean, yes, that case, absolutely, I agree with you 100. percent That is a, a very unfortunate case, and that was. Uh, but when your when your friends go home from the rave and they got high and maybe they had some leftover Molly or some leftover uh, fentanyl or they think it's uh, it's oxy and that's that's in their clothes it may be on their clothes it may be on the on the cocktail table in the living room and baby bumbles into it and baby ends up dead uh, that's the that's the, the that's where I would say you got to protect the kid first parents right second in that case. The Lars Larson Show. You can't get enough, Lars. Podcast every show at LarsLarson.com. I've got a confession to make in the interest of transparency. About once ever, maybe once, twice a month, I like to have a glass of bourbon. And I like to drink the good stuff if I can get my hands on it. And I happen to own the remain about half of a bottle of Pappy Van Winkle, which if you're into bourbon, you understand uh, it's not that expensive, but it's almost impossible to put your hands on. Something that some of the folks at the Oregon Liquor Control Commission, those in the upper reaches of management of that state agency that has a monopoly on all hard, actually a monopoly on all booze, said, hey, can you get me a bottle of Pappy or some other, you know, rare kinds of booze? Well, a bunch of them got fired for doing that. But then the story gets more interesting. And our friend Jeff Eager, who's former mayor of Bend, attorney, political consultant, all-around good guy, and a writer at Oregon Roundup on Substack, has the rest of the story where it gets even more interesting. Jeff, welcome back. Thanks, Lars. So all these folks, six of them, get their walking papers from Governor Tina Kotek. And then she says, but I'm going to keep a couple of people around, and I'm going to make one of them uh, the head of the commission, the chair of the commission, only to find out that one also was doing the same thing the other six had been doing. Do I have that right? Yeah, more or less, Lars, you do. I mean, when uh, I call it bourbon gate, some people call it pappy gate. Um, that story broke. And really oh, by the way, the bottle of bourbon I have, Pap the pappy Van Winkle, Jeff, I obtained entirely legally and through. I just walked into a store and bought it. So there you go. I would, I would never think otherwise, Lars. Um, and... Uh, so when that story broke, I, I mean, it was pretty clear that Kotek was trying to get out in front of it. She sent a letter, like, as the story was breaking, saying, we need to fire all these people. We need ethical government. And it uh, that happened. You know, the, the, those folks were fired. They're under criminal investigation right now at uh, the under the guidance of Oregon Attorney General Ellen Rosenblum uh, for that conduct. And then later, a few months later in the summer, it actually came out that uh, that a couple of the commissioners were the volunteers that serve on the board for the OLCC and help direct it had also requested bottles. Um, and uh, and then it turns out that the the guy that she named to chair the OLCC, the commission, Marvin Ravoal, if I'm mispronouncing his name, I apologize. Ravoal, Ravoal, uh, yeah, it's R-E-V-O-A-L with a tilde, I think, above the E, so there you go. Correct. And um, it, it turns out that she appointed him to kind of right the ship. It turns out he had done the same thing. He had requested a case of another type of rare bourbon called Elmer T. Lee, 
Um, and then he, uh, that story broke in August. He resigned effective October 1. And then, lo and behold, in December, Kotex sends Raybal a uh, letter of appreciation for doing such a great job as the with the OLCC. Uh, Raybal parlays that into a job with a cannabis company called Can Experts, uh, where he started either the end of last year or early this year. Okay, so you have a scandal. You have misdeeds by state workers, whether you think they're serious or not. There were misdeeds by the state workers. I, I've known one of them as a reporter, Steve Marks, because he used to work for uh, Ketzhopper, the corrupt former governor of Oregon, and found his way to director of the OLCC. And then there was corruption there as well. Uh, but but so these guys engage in corruption. And Tina Kotek says you're all fired and then keeps Marvin Rovial. And and do you suppose at some point he said to her, "Hey, boss, I did the same thing"? Uh, or probably not, right? No, he he didn't. It, it, it appears that the only reason that information came out was part of this criminal investigation that the Oregon DOJ is undertaking, and the Oregonian got a hold of that information last summer somehow and broke the story that Ray Boal had requested this case of uh, of bourbon. Um, so, no, I, as far as I know, he didn't confess to it. The Oregonian story says that they learned about it via these, uh, these, these records from the, the criminal investigation. I'm talking to Jeff Eager. You can read what he writes at Oregon Roundup on Substack. So the governor, knowing she's replaced a bunch of corrupt people with another corrupt guy who's finally been found out and decides she has to give him his walking papers, waits a couple of months for things to cool down, and writes him a letter of recommendation and said you did a great job? Yeah, I mean, her letter of December 12th literally says, during your time as chair, you helped guide the OLCC through some of the most challenging moments of its history. Um, so maybe he did, but he also engaged in similar conduct to the stuff that got people fired and criminally investigated. Is there any indication that because the state also regulates pot, that Marvin Ravoal uh, may have actually achieved his new position uh, in, in part because of favors pulled by Tina Kotek? It sounds like the whole place down there runs on favors, corruption, and graft, frankly. Yeah, I don't know whether, whether Kotek was involved with getting him this position, uh, but it's clear based on his, his LinkedIn posts and also the uh, can experts own website, you know, they hired him because he was with the OLCC and he knows his way around cannabis licensing. And that's, I mean, that's what they're marketing him as. And so it's clear that that was desirable. Now, whether Kotek or anyone else was in between Rayball and can experts, I don't know. Wasn't uh, Tina Kotek, was she one of the, uh, if I remember right, she was one of the recipients of LaModa weed money, wasn't she? Along with Correct. everybody else yeah. on the Democrat side? Yeah, I think over $70,000 she got from uh, LaModa. So she left at that time close to some parts of the industry. I don't know if she has any connections to can experts. Okay, so where does this go from now and or from here? And where, can we actually expect that the Democrat governor who fires somebody for corruption and then uh, writes him a good letter of recommendation, that this is going to be investigated well by her fellow Democrat, Ellen Rosenblum, over the Oregon Attorney General's office? I think there's very little chance that that'll happen. I think that Rosenblum only got into investigating kind of the initial crop of Bourbon Gate, which 
pertained only to the six employees or now former employees because Kotek explicitly asked for an investigation uh, in in her initial letter responding to all this on February 8th of last year. So, no, I, I think that it, it would be very unlikely that Rosenblum will take up on her own an investigation into Rigol and, you know, how he got the job he has now, now uh, hmm. anything further. Because, Jeff, the other thing I wonder about, is ordinarily people do favors for other folks because sometimes there's a return favor that's done. And has any of that been looked into? In other words, if you're the state OLCC worker who gets the call from Steve Marks or Martin Ravoal or any of the rest of these folks who says, hey, can you score me a case of bourbon? And he knows it's against the rules. And he says, yeah, sure, I can do that. Uh, anything happen uh, on, in a good way for all those OLCC folks who are doing solid favors, illegal but solid favors for their bosses? I I don't know. I th I think that maybe it was uh, something they just did because they wanted to you know do what their bosses were asking them to. Um, and and so I I don't have any evidence of anything else, uh, any consideration flowing their way, other than just having their superiors ask them to do stuff that, you know, at best at the time was you know questionable from a, a legal. Uh, a legal standpoint. Because anybody who's ever dealt with the old CC, and I haven't dealt directly, I've never been a liquor retailer, but they'll tell you. I mean, there was a guy in Lincoln City who ran a distillery for a while, and he said, I literally can't take this bottle and walk it down the street to the state liquor store. It has to go on a truck, go all the way to the state warehouse, be processed through the state system before it takes another truck to come all the way back to Lincoln City to end up on a shelf three blocks down the street. <laughs> they are that, that, they are that tough with all their rules, apparently, except for those people who know how to get around the rules, and it appears some of those people uh, used to have jobs and uh, now have even better jobs today. That's Jeff Eager. You can find what he writes at Oregon Roundup on Substack. Coming up in a moment, a security guard in Washington State performs an heroic move in Seattle and ends up losing his job. We'll talk about that, and I'll get you your phone calls and emails. It's Conspiracy Theory Thursday on the Radio Northwest Network. The with me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Email 
talk at LarsLarson.com. He actually reads them. More with Lars right now. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Great emails. Uh, Gary writes in about the uh, one I gave the grill for, the city of Seattle paying $10 million to members of BLM who helped stage some of the riots and the chaos that happened in Seattle. And then they said the police were too rough. They used excessive force. Gary says the city... Uh, citizens need to get a lien against that 10 million and all of those who suffered or died from that riot sue and attach the money from those rioters and not be allowed to get any of that money. I could go along with that idea. And then this on uh, jaywalking, uh, Lars, um, on jaywalking, I started Boeing and Renton in June of 91. At that time, our office had no crosswalks in the parking lot. We were expected to walk a block or so down the street, up a flight of stairs, to cross the street on a bridge. Renton police frequently set up in the parking lot and handed out jaywalking tickets. I got one. A guy who worked with us got 60 of them with bad knees. He got three jaywalking tickets we knew about. Another co-worker ribbed him that he was on America's Most Wanted. Now, I understand. Having to go to the crosswalk might be a little bit hazardous. But Joel points out, Lars, you're already creating a hazard. At 45 miles an hour, you're threatening lives. And they do it every day. I drive a delivery van. I get bums dancing in traffic deliberately. I had one idiot literally drop and start swimming a crawl stroke under a green light in a 35-mile-an-hour intersection. There is nothing about this but harassing drivers and enabling deviants. And by the way, if one demographic are consistently the worst offenders, they need more enforcement, not less. And then this one, Forest Cat says, Lars, by the same logic, we should eliminate the penalties for driving over pedestrians. Well, that's probably not going to happen anytime soon. Uh, this, this is the situation we're in. And somebody suggested, I think it's probably a likely suggestion, when the Democrats say let's legalize jaywalking, and then you notice there are an awful lot of these violent protests, Antifa, BLM protests, and all the rest, where they want to block streets. Well, if it's legal to walk out in the street, you know, when there's a break in traffic, and you say, well, I walked out when there were no cars coming, and then the cars saw me there, you're just making it easier for those people to actually be able to block traffic. Let's go to Jordan. Hey, Jordan, thanks for listening on the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? Thanks for having me today, Lars. Uh, this is for what we, you know, the jaywalking that we were, we were bringing up earlier, and I kind of have a theory on the Democrat Party and what they're trying to do to us on that. What they're okay. trying to do by jay with the jaywalking is they're trying to get us drivers to off the road, like how Portland is doing with the tolling. That's a good point, because they've done a lot of that, where they make it, they, they won't build freeways, and then they won't improve arterials, and then they cut the speed limits everywhere, and they make it harder and harder to be able to operate a car and do it safely, both for the people in the cars and the people on foot. I think you're right. It's one more step in and that uh, direction. And that's where, you know, when you said earlier today, you know, it's for how the drivers have to pay more attention. Well, there's only one way to do that, and that's to get us off the road. Yeah, and, and here's the thing. If you look at the vehicle code, I've looked at it for both Oregon and Washington, not today. But it says, if you step off the curb when there is a car close enough to present a hazard to you, you, the pedestrian, are at fault. And if the driver takes actions that... Put, you know, the, where you change the circumstances and you put the pedestrian at fault, then you're at fault. Except that most of the folks who are running Oregon and Washington in the state government seem to think car drivers are always bad. They're always in the wrong. Pedestrians are always in the right. 
Well, the the fact is, I think uh, I think Portland is now seeing that about fifty percent of the pedestrian fatals are people who live on the streets, and as we know, many of them are drug addicted, uh, and they they may be under the influence of drugs. Who do you think is creating the problem when somebody hits a pedestrian? I would say, in many cases, it is the pedestrian. And yet, far be it for the news organizations, especially the politically correct TV stations, to say, hey. Uh, maybe the pedestrian was at fault in this case. They don't want to do that. Let's go to Matt Medford listening on the RNW. How are you doing, Matt? Well, Lars, I'm doing terrific, and thanks for letting me speak. Hey, listen, parents with minors, who and these minors are little kids that do drugs, or, in the, or the parents do drugs, pardon me, and the minors have to see that. Absolutely not remove these minors immediately because uh, these drugs, they're, they're tasteless, they're odorless, they're harmless. And uh, the kids don't know it, and it could really hurt uh, children. Yeah, you're absolutely. And think about this, Matt. I mean, when Payson was a little baby, she crawled around on the yeah. floor like all little babies do. What do most babies do when they find an interesting object? They they, they usually they, they, test. They, they want to swallow it. They put it in their mouth, even if they don't want to swallow yeah. it. They put it in their mouth. So some kid yeah. finds a pill that mom and dad thought was oxy, but it's actually fentanyl. If it's a lethal, a less than lethal dose for mom and dad. Yeah. yeah, and and the problem is they're using fentanyl to substitute uh, for for oxycontin and everything else. Let me tell you this quick story about the security guard because this one this one floored me. So you got a security guard. He's working in Seattle, and what does he do? He's at a Whole Foods market, and this woman he thinks is going to rob the store. Now, how does he know that? Because she's walking into the store with a gun already drawn, and she's headed toward a cashier. So. He knows about guns. He looks and he realizes the slide is back on this semi-automatic gun, which means it doesn't have a round in the chamber and may not even be loaded. So he steps right up. He stops this lady. He brings her outside. And guess what? He ends up in trouble. He had a domestic violence incident in 2021. He lost his gun rights. Now, what happened? The domestic violence charge was dismissed with prejudice, which means it can never be filed again. But in the meantime, he has no rights. And what was the security guard at the Whole Foods in Seattle carrying? He was carrying a taser. And for that, he's in big trouble again. Glad to be with you on a Thursday. This segment brought to you by ProTech Power. Call 541-ONA-GEN. That's 541-ONA-GEN. You're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. You ready for the big show? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Lars. This 
is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Live now. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on the Radio Northwest Network and a pleasure to get to your calls. But I want to talk to our friend Mark Harmsworth about something. And Mark, welcome to the show. I just want to tell my audience, I always give them full disclosure. I have a bias because I have experienced living in rental housing. Uh, in a number of cities around the Pacific Northwest, both in Oregon and Washington. I've also been a landlord for a period of time. I'm not today, but decades ago, I owned a little duplex, and so I got all the ins and outs for about a decade of understanding what it's like to be a landlord. So when I see stories like the one that you're talking about, this House Bill 2323, on reporting of on-time rent, it gets me concerned that there are people in the state legislature, most of them Democrats, like Strom Peterson, who want to destroy the rental housing marketplace, and that's not going to do people who live in rental housing any good, is it? No, absolutely not. Thanks for having me on today, Hart. Sure. Yeah, this this bill basically it requires the uh, property owner or the landlord to report on-time payment history to the credit reporting agencies, and it opens a whole can of worms up. But specifically, it says that they cannot, um, once the renter has made a late payment, report a late payment on the credit history. So they can only report positive uh, payment history, and the, I think the idea is is that it enables a renter to be able to create themselves a, a credit history, but it's actually doing them a disservice, which it's not fair to renters, it's not fair to property owners, because if you are the next landlord that's looking at a renter and you pull their credit report and you can see that they made three payments on time and then suddenly there's no history, you know immediately they didn't make any payments. Additionally, we've got this whole problem with the, the credit reporting where you open up a whole can of uh, legal problems for the, for the poor property owner who's had a report who opens himself up to a potential lawsuit for, for not reporting things properly. Well, and, and I wonder about this, Mark, because, uh, for instance, when I lived in Spokane, uh, I lived there for almost exactly a year, and I lived in three different places. Uh, the first one I rented on my own. The second one, I was a roommate to two other people who had already rented the place, and they rented me a room. And so I wasn't on, I wasn't on the agreement at all. And then I rented another place, and, and I lived there for a few months, and then I came to Portland. I paid my rent on time every month, and yet under this system, it would have shown, well, Lars paid rent for six months here, and then he disappears from the system altogether for a while. And then he paid rent for a few months there and then left and went to Portland. That would make me look like a deadbeat, wouldn't it? Absolutely. And that's, that's the problem with these, these bills. And this bill just, it just isn't needed anyway. I don't know why this bill was introduced. It's not going to help anybody. It's only going to hurt the renter more. And then ultimately it increases rents because now there's a higher risk to the property owner if he does bring somebody in and he has to recoup that cost. So I, this is really a bill that's looking for a problem that just doesn't exist. If you pay your rent on time, what a concept, then you're going to have good credit. The system's already in place for this. I suspect this has been introduced just to try and help 
some of these folks that are skipping their rent, but it has exactly the opposite effect. Well, and in fact, it could be made into something that both does the person some good. If you said you can re re report on time and not on time, you know, either re late rent or missed rent, you could say this person rented for you for a year and you say they were 12 over 12. Okay, they're good. This one was 10 over 12. Not, not so good. But if you reported that honestly, all the people who might have been inclined to not pay their rent or not pay it on time would get a report that says if you pay your rent on time, you get a solid, you build some solid credit. And, and it would actually be meaningful to the future landlord to say, wow, you've got three places you rented every single time you paid every single payment and you paid them all on time. And as you point out, if the landlord gets stiffed, you know, and finally has to evict somebody because they won't pay, now that that's sort of allowed these days, it wasn't there for a few years, um, then guess who gets the additional cost? The landlord has to recover that money somewhere. He's going to recover it from his other tenants. So all the law-abiding tenants who pay on time will pay more, and the people who like to be deadbeats or not pay at all or pay late, they they get to pay less. That rewards the bad behavior and punishes the good behavior, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And and this bill specifically, because I've had a couple of folks reach out and say, well, you know, the, the, the reporting for the on-time payments and the non-on-time payments is the duty to do that is only optional for the non-on-time payments by the, the landlord. However, there's a provision in there that as soon as they miss a payment, it's automatically revoked from the landlord that he, he can report the the, the the payments that weren't made on time. So this bill really does hurt the renter at the end of the day and create a whole bunch of headaches and work for the work for the landlord. With some changes, possibly it could work. If you can remove the the um, requirement on the landlords to do the credit reporting and find some other mechanism to do it, maybe it's a good idea. But in this form, this is not good policy. Well, and, and Mark, this doesn't even match up with usual credit reporting because if you have a credit card and you pay all the payments on time and you never go past the limits and all that, then that gets reported. If you miss some payments, that gets reported. So you get good and bad, and that's what your credit score is. Why would the credit reporting agencies even decide to feature information where you're only given part of the information any more than they would only report every time I paid my Visa bill or Amex bill on time but never report when I missed a payment? Yeah, and I think that's where the legal potential, the problems come in there, because if you're only reporting positive and not negative, or you did report a negative and somebody didn't like it, then, you know, as a tenant, you may say, well, that wasn't fair. You just screwed my credit up, so I'm going to come after you and, and sue you for that. So you can see this thing just hasn't been thought through. Well, I'll tell you what, wrong. we're going to reach out to Strom Peterson. That's Democrat uh, uh, District 21. And, and ask if Strom Peterson will come on, because it doesn't sound like it was very well thought out, uh, except that maybe he intended it to do exactly this. Is that possible? Yeah. It's, it's possible. Have him on and ask him. I used to sit next to him on the floor. So uh, he's a reasonable fellow. He'll, he'll answer your questions. Well, I mean, because uh, not, not, not is it possible that he'll come on, but is it possible that he just threw this thing together and not never th thought through what's going to happen if we make these the requirements? Is this actually going to hurt other people, help people who are deadbeats, and, and not actually provide any meaningful information to the landlords who need to have it to evaluate, do I let this person rent for me? Are they dependable? 
Yeah, it's possible. It, it, it's also possible that an advocacy group put this together and, and asked uh, Representative Peterson to introduce it as a bill, and that kind of got through the system. It could just be mistakes in there, but it's definitely not a full-through bill. It's, uh, it's, does, it's full of holes. Does it appear to be on its way to passage? Is this thing coming out of committee, do you think, at this point? Um, I don't think so. I think that it uh, it's definitely testing the waters to see what this looks like, if people are on board or not. And the more that we expose the bad policy that it is, hopefully it gets put down and we don't see it again. Well, I hope your old floor buddy, uh, uh, Mr. Peterson, uh, wasn't somebody who just took a bill that he hadn't even looked through or thought out and threw it into the hopper. But we'll ask him if we get him to come on. We'll ask Strong Peterson. So if you're listening or know him, tell him, go on the radio and explain why this idea, House Bill 2323, is any good at all. Back in a moment, I'll get to your phone calls and emails. And I want to tell you what the CDC knew and decided not to tell you about that mRNA jab. the new year. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs, but how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k flats. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Right on the left coast. Get it? Here's Lars Larson. Um, you know, we heard a lot of these data, and we've been following this very carefully um, as we have had reports of this rare but mild myocarditis come in. Um, and we heard about this yesterday at the um, now, Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices yesterday. Yesterday. Now, that's Rochelle Walensky, and that's June of 2021, not quite three years ago. And what she's saying, well, we've heard these reports about myocarditis and pericarditis. I'd throw that in as well. So why am I talking about this two and a half years later, almost three years later? Because now there's an email that proves that the CDC knew early on about heart problems. And yes, they're rare, but heart problems all the same caused by the mRNA jab that some people insist on calling a vaccination. And they decided they made a concerted decision to hold it back from the public. 
Now, I, do, I have a problem with that, but let me tell you why, and I'll give you the background on all of this. Still, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and if you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Naysayers always go to the head of the line. I'll get some naysayer calls here in just a minute. And you can also vote in our poll on X, used to be called the Twitter poll. You can find it on X at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. Now, I've got to give lavish credit because I don't steal things the way the current president of the United States plagiarizes. The Epic Times managed to come up with an email that was sent from the CDC. There was an email exchange, and this is all the way back in May of 2021, about a month before Rochelle Walensky made that statement on Good Morning America, where she said, yeah, we've heard about some of these reports, and they're rare, but uh, we're keeping a close eye on it. Let me tell you what they actually did do, and they did it before she said that. The nation's top public health agency reports Epic did not send an alert on COVID-19 vaccines. They still call it a vaccine. I call it the jab and heart inflammation because officials said, well, if we tell the public what's actually going on, that could cause panic. And then they wouldn't want to take the jab. No kidding. No kidding. A CDC in 2021 drafted an alert. You see, they have this system. It's called the HAN, the Health Alert System Network, H-A-N. And they use it to get the word out about one thing or another. When they become aware of a risk to the public, they're able to send a quick alert out that goes out to the entire nation, to doctors and clinics and hospitals and all of that. So let me take you all the way back to December of 2020. You say, well, okay, December 2020, the virus uh, begins to emerge in China. Then in early, uh, sorry, 19, then in early 2020, the pandemic begins in the United States. And they begin developing a vaccine. Well, they called it a vaccine, except they used a brand new technology that had never been used for vaccines before called mRNA vaccine uh, technology developed by Dr. Robert Malone, among others, who actually advised the public this was never intended to be used this way. It should never have been used that way. Dr. Malone has spent the last several years telling people that, saying there are problems with doing it that way. Well, what happened? Fast forward to December of 2020, the election year, right after the election of Donald Trump that was actually stolen by Joe Biden, but that's a story for another day. The first vaccines actually landed in clinics around America on December the 14th of 2020. It was a very quick development, something that even Anthony Fauci had said would not be possible. He's, he was quoted from 2019 as saying, we can't possibly get a new vaccine through approval in less than about 10 years. And then all of a sudden, the very next year, he's finding a way to say, no, no, this stuff's good. We put it together in about eight months. So what happens? Right after they started giving shots to people in December of 2020, the first year of the pandemic, they started getting reports about myocarditis and pericarditis. Now, they identified that this was a problem. Uh, U.S. authorities identified myocarditis and a related condition called pericarditis before the vaccines were cleared for use as events that could be caused. And then guess what happened right after they started giving the shots in December of 2020? People who received the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines began reporting myocarditis and pericarditis to health authorities. 
and the vaccine manufacturers shortly after they were rolled out in December of 2020. So they knew it was likely to happen. When they started giving the shots, it was happening. It was reported the information was in the hands of agencies like the CDC. So what did the CDC do in May of 2021, right? Second year of the pandemic. They wrote a report, uh, uh, an alert, uh, an HAN, a health alert system network or a health alert network uh, message. And they said, we're going to tell people that this is a possibility. At the very least, in American medicine at least, when you have a new treatment or a new drug that's used on patients or an old drug, you're required to have a package insert that says, these are some of the things this drug also does. If you listen to any of the ads on television for drugs, they have this long list of it may cause this, that, and the other thing. But at least they advise you. Well, guess what happened? In May of 2021, a month before Rochelle Walensky made that statement I played at the beginning of the segment, um, the folks at CDC said, you know, we don't want to send out this message right now because people might get the information and then they will react to it. They will say, well, maybe I don't want to get the shot after all. They wrote the message up. They never sent it. And a full month later, almost two months later, um, here's Rochelle Walensky on television saying, yeah, we've heard something about that and we're keeping a close eye on it. Basically shuffles it away. She falsely said in April of 2021, that CDC had seen no reports of myocarditis and pericarditis and that no signal had been triggered. So the CDC lied to the public. I just thought you should know about it, even if the CDC doesn't agree. Let's go to a naysayer. Hey, Phil, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What do you, uh, uh, we, we, we're always glad to get naysayers, but what do you, what do you and I disagree about that makes you a naysayer? Uh, I disagree with you on a certain point on the Alex Baldwin story about the pistol. No, about the fact that he's now been charged with involuntary manslaughter because he pulled a trigger and a bullet killed a woman, right? Okay. He says he didn't pull the trigger, though. And the thing is, Alex, I mean, um, Lars, I wanted to ask you, you own yeah. revolvers, right? Yes, I do. Okay, I've owned revolvers a lot in my life also. And you know what a hair trigger is? Yes. Okay. A lot of your revolvers have But a, even a hair trigger a has defense. to be pulled for it to go down. And I will yeah. tell you something yeah. you should know if you decide to defend Alec Baldwin and say he didn't do it, he didn't pull the trigger. Do you know that the FBI rebuilt that gun? And they said, let's see if okay. what Alec Baldwin says happened could have happened. In other words, he didn't pull the trigger, the gun fired anyway. And you know what they determined after they took a look at the gun? And they said, uh, let's let's see if we can make... What he says happened, happened. That is, a bullet fires without somebody pulling the trigger. Do you know what they found out, Phil? What? He had to pull the trigger for the, for the gun to fire. Okay. All right. What I, what, I, what I was getting at, Lars, is I've owned some pistols and revolvers. I own a lot of pistols and revolvers. But um, what I was getting at is my son owned one, and they had a hair trigger on it. And after a while, the hammer wears down because of that. The trigger has the hammer has to be a file to get the hair trigger on it, and the spring on it was slipping off the hammer, and he pulled it back one day, no bullets in it, and it went off by itself. Well, and maybe maybe Alec Baldwin will be able to persuade a jury. Otherwise, it sounds like he's going to jail. You've got the Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest now. The Lars Larson Show.
Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google. Yeah, he's everywhere. The Lars Larson Podcast. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And usually this time of year, we're at SHOT Show, the shooting, hunting, outdoor trade show. It's the biggest thing of its kind in America. It represents the entire firearms industry. It also represents people who make knives and tactical gear for the military and a lot of other good things. But there's an opportunity for people like Dr. Matthew Miller, who is executive director for VA Suicide Prevention for the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. And Dr. Miller joins me now. Dr. Miller, welcome to the program, and thanks for your service in the Air Force. Thanks. Thanks for having me, and you hit the nail on the head. This is a great opportunity to be here. Well, and tell me this. You served as uh, the mental health uh, chief at Joint Services Pilot Training Wing. So what do we need to do to help America's veterans because they have a disturbingly high rate of suicide after their service to, to this country? Well, I think uh, it starts with what we're focused on here. Seventy-two percent of veteran suicides are by firearm. Uh, when we talk about this, we talk about it in terms of then uh, uh, why veterans die by suicide versus how. We don't talk about firearms in the why category. We talk about firearms in the how category. I think that's a really important distinction to make clear uh, here at the show and with the firearm industry and owners. Uh, in terms of then lowering uh, veteran suicide through decreasing veteran suicides by firearm, it's all about time and space. It's all about uh, secure storage to uh, weather dark periods uh, without grabbing the gun. And how do fa why don't you give my uh, audience some practical advice? Because if you're a family and you've got a veteran in the family, my dad and mom both served in the U.S. Navy, um, that it's probably a tough conversation to say, Dad or Mom, you're going through some dark times, and maybe what you ought to do is, uh, is hand over control of the firearms that you have, change the combo on the safe, because we're worried about you. Uh, yeah. That may be a tough message for a lot of men and women to take. Yeah, I, I would say, Lars, I, I would... I would propose not may but will be a tough conversation for any and all of us I, i'd say go to va.gov slash reach and look at our resources we have on starting the conversation i think it gives a really nice overview and information about how to uh, have a conversation and start a conversation around the topic of suicide suicide prevention and uh firearms you know but just uh Opening the door to the conversation, really, really important step. Does the idea that you may have your ability to hunt, uh, to shoot, to have a firearm accessible to you get in the way at all of veterans who might be going through a tough time? Maybe it's PTSD, maybe it's deep depression, and they think, but if I tell anybody that, whether it's my doctor or my family, they're going to want to come and disarm me, and I don't want that to happen. And, and, and if you're active duty, you may even think if I admit I'm, I'm having some troubles, uh, that that might actually have an effect on your service and could even yeah. end your service. Is that a legitimate fear? 
Yeah, I don't want to say any concern or fear the veteran has is uh, illegitimate. There's probably very good reasons for it. However, the uh, fear based upon the VA and Veterans Health Administration uh, taking a veteran's weapon uh, is is not true, is not accurate. What we're interested in is creating options and opportunities for veterans to store their weapons uh, during particular points in their life where storing the weapon may save their life. It's it's a little akin to the uh, uh, handing your keys over temporarily or putting them somewhere else around the context of drinking and driving. I'm talking to Dr. Matthew Miller. He's executive director for VA Suicide Prevention for the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. And yet you mentioned a moment ago the VA is not interested in, in going out and taking people's things away, taking away their liberties. But is that a legitimate concern as more and more states are beginning to say have red flag laws? I'm not entirely convinced myself that red flag laws actually work um, yeah. because I think they're kind of problematic. But is there a reason to fear, well, if I tell the VA this and they're legitimately concerned about my safety, uh, are they going to pick up the phone and call the local, you know, the local authorities and say, no. hey, this guy needs to be red flagged because do you make it clear to veterans that, that you're not going to do something like that? And if you don't, I, I guess then, then the question may come up, if that veteran commits suicide, you might say, well, did you know he was in yeah. a tough spot? And, and did you use the laws that were available to you? I'm not advocating either way. As I said, I'm a gun owner. Uh, I believe in the Second Amendment. I don't want people's guns taken away, and I think there are too many people out there who'd like to take them away. Yeah, no. Uh, VA has something that's called uh, uh, federal supremacy, which uh, means that when it comes to issues like a state-based uh, law that's unique to that state, uh, the VA has um, options and, uh, and abilities with that. So we're we're not going to be reporting based upon a state-based law. Uh, where reporting may occur is in the context of uh, fiduciary related coverage of veteran benefits and you know when you really take a look at the numbers there that impacts less than one percent of uh, veterans who are receiving VA services and own firearms uh, so uh, we're, we're, we're talking about really small numbers here with, uh, with the VA and when it comes to uh, firearms in the way that some people may be concerned about. Dr. Miller, I, uh, I mean, in all my years in news, I, I'm never surprised when I hear a story about somebody who's committed suicide and everyone around that man or woman says, why I never saw a single thing that would have led me to believe that my yeah. friend, my family member would do this. So at the risk of doing something very pedestrian for a guy like you with your background, can you talk to my audience about what they should be looking for? Because it sounds like the signs are pretty tough to, to, to spot. Yeah, the the signs are uh, the signs aren't tough to spot, but uh, the trying to then uh, convert that into um, risk and things along those lines. Yeah, that's that's really difficult to predict. Suicide is is difficult to predict. It's complex. I think the key thing is pay attention to your gut, uh, and this is how we know in suicide prevention how important the family and the community are. 
far to our efforts. It's not uh, so much a clinical sort of process and diagnosis here. It's family, community recognizing changes in uh, an individual within their community, changes in their interest level, changes in their behaviors, uh, things along those lines. And at that point, simply opening the door for conversation. And if if a veteran says, "Look, I just need a counselor. I need to sit down yep. and talk to somebody about my, uh, my about what's going on in my life." Yep. V, can VA quickly get that for a veteran? Yeah, I think the quickest thing uh, in that context, if uh, if a veteran's talking to you and saying that, you can say, "Hey, let's uh, let's dial up the uh, veterans crisis line. Let's press nine eight eight on our phone, and then when it asks for a veteran, let's press one, and let's talk to the veterans crisis line responder, and the veterans crisis line responder can put in a referral to the veterans local." facility and arrange for that veteran to be contacted for the veteran to talk through what he or she is interested in and needs. Dr. Miller, thanks so much for your service in the in the Air Force and thanks for the work you're doing at the VA to prevent suicide among our veterans and I appreciate you going to SHOT Show. I wish we were there to say hello to you in person. We're yeah, not, miss, but, miss but you here. Yeah. Good work. Thank you. Appreciate it. You bet. We'll be back in just a moment. Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. In a rocky political climate, he's the steamroller. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. The poll on X today on the Radio Northwest Network. Should children be removed from parents who are taking dangerous illegal drugs? I would say yes to that. Uh, you can vote any way you like. It's brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. The story in particular has to do with a one-month-old baby found dead in a lagoon near 
Port Townsend. And why? The baby was returned to dad, who still had a serious drug problem, decided to stop doing his mandatory drug testing that was part of the court-imposed uh, you know, conditions of his release, and then he disappeared with the baby, and the baby ended up dead. That was unnecessary, and it's probably the result, according to the prosecutor in that area, because uh, Democrats decided to pass a bill in the state legislature and make it a law that said, whatever you do, you've got to reunite the kids and mom and dad, no matter what the circumstances are, which I think is foolish. You can find the poll at Lars Larson Show on on X. You can also find it on our website. Yesterday, I asked you about another bill before the legislature. Should striking union workers get unemployment checks while they're on strike? 92% of you said no, but 8% said yes. I was a no vote on that one. To your calls now. Let's start with Mary and Tiger listening on the Radio Northwest Network. Hey, Mary, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Yes, in reference to the VA doctor you just spoke with, yes. I am surviving the spouse of a military veteran who died by I'm, suicide by fire. I'm sorry for your, for your loss, ma'am. And contrary to what the good doctor said, it was not easy to try to get help. We yelled and screamed and tried to get into the VA system. Long, long wait. And he was diagnosed with several co-factors. But instead of doing anything that would help him, they just threw drugs at him, all of which had black box warnings for suicide. Ouch. We owned firearms because he believed in the Second Amendment. We had a discussion, and they were locked up, and he did not know where they were. And that probably saved his life until he went out and bought a thirty-eight and put a bullet in his head. Oh. If there had been a red flag system, I would have put that in there, and perhaps I wouldn't be widowed today. I'm sorry to hear that. How, how long ago did that happen? How, 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 how do you feel about being able to actually try to save someone's life? You're concerned about little babies, but not concerned about military veterans uh, saving their lives. You, you're talking you, to you me, saying I'm not concerned? You don't, you don't want to upset their Second Amendment rights. Well, what about my right to have had a longer marriage as opposed to losing my veteran because this country didn't take care of him when he came home and didn't allow me to make it safe. So he was just allowed to go out and buy another weapon, even though there were all sorts of flags out there. Well, Mary, you're acting as though I'm in favor of him doing that. I'm also not in favor of telling people who put on a uniform, serve their country. When you come home, we'll just assume there are things wrong with you and we'll take away your right to buy a gun. Should we? Do, who should we do that to? This, this was not uh, something I wanted to do the day he came home, but after he was swirling out of control and it was evident that he was in harm's way and he agreed to let me put well, away some of the weapons. Ma'am, no, can I ask you a question? Into, It'll help us with this. No, I want to ask you a question, ma'am. died on the floor. Ma'am, I want to ask you a question. You want to yell. Go ahead and yell. But do you know that Oregon and Washington both have what are called extreme risk protection orders, which is what people shorthand as red flag? It, I was asking you when this happened because it may well have been available to you at the time. Maybe you didn't use it. I don't know. It wasn't you know? available at the time. It was nearly five years ago. Okay. I'll, I'll go back. I, it's been in the last few years that Oregon has added extreme risk protection orders. And one of the concerns I've got, 
about do, about using those is, number one, you will take the rights away from some people who would never have done anything to themselves. Would you have put your husband under an extreme risk protection order? I would have. Okay. Because then I loved is, him, and I didn't want him to put a bullet in his head and end I, his life. I understand that, Mary. Uh, and I, you want to blame me for it. I'm what the reason I had the head of the VA suicide pre prevention program on is to talk about the ways that we can get help for veterans. And I would agree with you generically. I've heard from too many veterans about the failures of the VA. The doctor says you can call a number, you can get some counseling, you can get right into the system. Apparently, that wasn't available five years ago, and it should be available to every single veteran out there. And I appreciate your call. Let's go to Don in Lakewood. Hey, Don, welcome to the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? Hello, Lars. I just uh, following the, the uh, legislature in Washington State. Governor Inslee, he wants to put in a bill that requires anybody going out and buying a gun undergoing mental evaluation. Well, with that said and done, I think there should be a ballot measure in California, Oregon, and Washington that requires the politicians running for office to go through the same ballot, to go through the same mental evaluation as with the same type of doctor as they want to evaluate the mental capacity of the firearm owners. And how would, you know, here's the thing. I wouldn't have a problem with, a, you know, some kind of mental competency test for politicians every day of the week. I'd agree with that. But, but I don't even know what standard would they set if you take this mental evaluation that they would then declare that you are un, not to be trusted in buying a gun. I, I think those proposals have always been crazy. I don't think they do any good. And I think they threaten to strip away people's civil rights. Don, thanks for the call from Lakewood. You've got the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Lar I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you, your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Larson Show. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Live now. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette. 
And my cat, Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and welcome to the Radio Northwest Network. 24 years now of serving the Pacific Northwest states of Oregon, Washington, and Idaho. And we got a lot to talk about. Our poll on X today, used to be called Twitter, at Lars Larson Show, should children be removed from parents who are taking dangerous, illegal drugs? And if you say, well, Lars, what are you, crazy? Of course they should. Well, I'm not crazy. I'm also not a Democrat like the Democrats who introduced the bill before the legislature that made reuniting kids and their parents more important than maybe evaluating whether or not the parents as illegal drug users might be dangerous. And the case in point out of Port Townsend is a baby, one month old, found dead, taken by dad who still had a drug problem. And now the baby is dead and people are beginning to question, including the prosecutor in that area who said this baby should not have died. So you can find the poll on X. Should children be removed from parents who insist on taking dangerous illegal drugs? I'd say yes. It's brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. Now, on the subject of dangerous illegal drugs, I'm sorry, but I'm convinced that both Oregon and Washington, which both have a fantastically large problem with illegal drugs, especially fentanyl. Uh, Washington's had thousands of fentanyl deaths. Oregon's had over a thousand fentanyl deaths. And I'm convinced the state legislature, uh, not because of the Republicans, but the state legislature is not going to do anything meaningful to solve this. So I thought I'd see if Washington State Senator Linda Wilson, who represents the 17th district, and that's Clark County, can persuade me otherwise. Senator, welcome back. Hi, thank you for having me on. So tell me this. Is the state legislature, with the Democrats in charge and Jay Inslee in the governor's office, uh, are they going to do anything that actually changes the course of this fentanyl epidemic? Uh, or are they going to just try to, you know, tweak it around the edges, hope for the best, and buy more body bags? Well, according to the bill that you just mentioned, that's the direction they're going, right? Leave the children with the people that have that have a fentanyl issue problem. Yep. That's not what I want to do. I've been trying for a year to get my bill passed, which will actually put fentanyl in the statute that isn't in there now. So I'll give you a little history. In 2005, we, um, that's when we had the big meth problem, right? And all the meth yep. labs were, were, and so kids were inside of these meth labs in these homes and they were overdosing. And, uh, so they created this law to make it a class B felony if someone overdosed their child, then you could actually charge them with this crime. But they haven't, the, the ironic thing is that all these new drugs have come out, but they're, it's not in statute. So what I wanted to do, and the only thing that I did do yesterday was put the fentanyl and other synthetic opioids in this statute so that they can do something about these people that are overdosing their own kids in their own, you know, they're in their possession. Um, I, co I was contacted last year by a, uh, by Clark County, um, prosecuting attorney who worked for the Children's Justice Center who said, we have an issue here. We aren't able to charge anybody when these children are overdosing. Now, these are children that didn't die, right? For the grace right. of God, they they just die. overdosed, but they've been they just saved. overdosed, yeah. right? But when you're talking about a one-month-old who is so overdosed they can't open their eyes to to be able to check their pupils, that and then they live, right? Well, what happens to their brains? But what happens to the parent who passed out while this baby was, as an example, in a car and the baby was one month old, shoved 
in between the side of the seat and the back of the seat and her leg. And someone saw her um, passed out. And so they called the police and the police came and the baby was so overdosed she couldn't open her eyes. So she did live. But this is what we're talking about. And um, the bill passed out of the Senate last year unanimously. It got over to the House in the Public Safety Committee, Public Safety Committee, and they said, my caucus can't support this. And the bill died. Hold on. I want you to make this, because sometimes we kind of shorthand things and people don't realize. If it passed unanimously out of the Senate, Mm -hmm. a whole bunch of Democrats voted for it. So a bill supported by both Republicans and Democrats goes to the House and the committee says we can't Mm -hmm. even support this. So it never even gets a House vote, even though in the Senate it got every Democrat in the in the Senate. Moving through the entire process. Yes. In every process, it got all the way through. So, yes. And that's a good question. I I, I don't know what. Look, I don't know. I can't. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a state lawmaker, never aspired to be one. But Senator Wilson, I would think that in the legislature, if you're in the House and you can't be, I guess, familiar with every one of a couple of thousand bills or even a few hundred bills. But if you say, well, how did you over in the Senate? Well, it passed unanimously. Every single Democrat, every single Republican voted mm-hmm. for it. Wouldn't that give you pause as a Democrat before you vote against it and say, well, mm-hmm. if every Democrat senator voted for it, it must have something going for it, unless there's some right. other, you know, piece to this puzzle that I don't understand. Well, there's, if you, I don't either. I don't know what the piece of the puzzle is. I was flabbergasted when he told me that it was going to die in that committee. So we're going to try again. It's sent over again with nearly unanimous vote. We had one senator vote no uh, this time, but unanimous other otherwise. And uh, we'll see. I mean, this is skyrocketing. I mean, in Clark County, we had 46 kids in 2022 overdose. The year before that, it was 25, less than half of that, right? So here we are doubling, and I don't know what it is this year, but I know that I have prosecuting attorneys all over this bill this year and children's advocacy and justice centers that are like, we have got to do something. Well, and the other thing is, it's the availability of the drugs. Well, who makes it available for the most part? Adults. So mm-hmm. if we don't address the adult side of this, no matter how many, I mean, I'm, I applaud your efforts. I want to see the bill you're talking about of overdosing kids pass with penalties mm-hmm. for those who do that. But we've got to address the adult problem, too, because then maybe we can get a handle. I mean, just the other day, Portland said they just seized 50 pounds of pills right. that were purported mm-hmm. oxy pills, but there or or other kinds of pills, but they were full of fentanyl. So. Are they going to do anything that puts all these drugs back in felony status so the drug courts can actually use that you know, the carrot and the stick to get some of these addicts into treatment, which not only helps the public, helps the problem, but also helps the addict as well? Is there any prospect of that in this session? Not that I see, because last wow. year, you know, we went into special session just to get the the um, Blake decision fixed, right? Because we knew it was yep. going to expire, and if we didn't do something, and then we didn't do anything during the regular session, so we had to have a special session because the Democrats, there's some Democrats over there in the House that wouldn't allow us to increase those penalties at all. So it became a gross misdemeanor instead of a misdemeanor. I, 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 wanna, I know this may be tough, Senator. I wish you could bring one of your a couple of your. I bring ten of your Democrat colleagues with you. And let me ask them some questions on the air, because if they if they really believe 
that is right to reject the idea of any kind of real penalties that might get people into treatment, I want to hear them defend that idea because I don't think they're capable of it. But I'd love it if you'd bring a few Democrats back with you because we call them. They don't want to talk about it. I'll get to your phone calls and emails in a moment. Senator Wilson, thank you very much. Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Vote in our poll on X. Check out our Instagram feed. And you can always tell Alexa to play the Lars Larson Show. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Wise words from President Reagan. We the people tell the government what to do. It doesn't tell us. We the people are the driver. The government is the car. And we decide where it should go. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and your emails at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Heck, I thought we were going to talk to a naysayer, but it sounds like you dropped off. Instead... I want to go to, uh, let me go to Neary in Seattle, listening on KVI and the Radio Northwest Network. Neary, you heard us asking about this proposal to make j basically jaywalking legal in the state of Washington because uh, somehow there are Democrats who believe that if you made it legal, that, uh, that it, would, uh, it would not increase pedestrian fatalities. And they think that when you enforce jaywalking laws, it is too often enforced against people of color. What do you make of that? Well, my question is actually more fundamental than that. My question is, why is it that all those lawmakers always making laws that they are counter-physics, meaning body mass and inertia? Yep. Who can stop on a dime, a pedestrian or a vehicle? Yep. Who can get hurt more, a pedestrian or a vehicle? Who should pay attention more not to get hurt, pedestrian or vehicle? Yep. That's I, I, my core problem. I am, I am on the same page as you are, Neary, and that's why I pointed out earlier, to have this proposal come from the Democrats saying they're writing too many tickets to black people in Washington State for jaywalking. And you say, well, it could very well be that there are more people of color who are violating the law. And they said, well, that's racist to believe that. And I said, no, it's it's not if the evidence is there. Neary, if I told you more men commit violent crimes and serious crimes than women, would you believe me? 
Oh, absolutely, because they got the body mass, they got the temperature, and they got the, the whole, uh, uh, I guess, programming. Well, and, and th think about this, Neri. I've called both Oregon and Washington, Department of Corrections. What percentage of your inmates in prison for the most serious crimes around are men? And they say 90%. What percentage are women? 10%. And and nobody, you know, as crazy as the liberals are, no, none of them run around saying, well, clearly the justice system is biased in favor of women and against men. We should have it closer to 50-50. For every man locked up in a prison, there should be a woman locked up in a prison. No, that would be nuts. But they say men commit more crimes. And yet, if you say, well, I mean, I remember a few years ago, Seattle had had a statute, and it is still against the law to smoke marijuana in public, right? And, and they decided that even though the population of Seattle is not 30% black, the percentage of marijuana smoking pot in public tickets were written to black men. They also wrote 60%, 70% of the tickets to people who are not black men. And you say, well, okay, it sounds fair to me. There's just more people of one group violating the law than another group. And they say, no, no, it must be racial bias. I mean, this is the kind of nonsense that while... Body bags are piling up, 2,700 overdose fatalities in Washington State from drugs. While we've got all these other problems, they want to focus on jaywalking at the state legislature because they think that jaywalking laws are enforced in a racist manner. That's the kind of craziness that we're up against. Let me go to uh, Brian. Hey, Brian, thanks for listening in Grants Pass and on the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? Uh, yes, Lars. Uh, I'm a member of Park Watch, and that's in Grants Pass. And we're, we're an organization of people that are very concerned about how our parks are being used by the homeless. So every week, we have a crew of people, I'm one of them, that goes through all five of our city parks. Now, we know sure. there's a referent or a, in, 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 whatever you want to call that thing about with the, with the uh, Supreme Court. Uh, not allowing them oh, to... Oh, this, to this is the one. Impact. Grants Pass is fighting. The, just so people know, there's a thing called the Boise decision. And what it decided yeah. was no city could go in and criminalize living outside. So if you camp on public property, any city that passes a law that has teeth in it is violating the law. Well, that went to the Constitution, went to the Supreme Court, and they're going to decide, I think, that that restriction is unconstitutional. So maybe Grant and Grants Pass is the lead plaintiff in that case before the Supreme Court, and I wish them yes. luck. I hope they win. Yes. Okay, so we've been going to these parks every week, and we have a new set as of uh, June 29th last year uh, by our mayor in Grants Pass that has a new park code enforcement. We wrote down all those enforcements, and our job, the chief knows about us, is to to make sure that those new code enforcements are being uh, done. And and what we have found is there is no buddy in these homeless camps in all our five of our parks that are pertaining to any of these new code enforcements. Open use of heroin, um, it, the drug use, the you know, the, it just it goes on and on. So one day we we meet every week. One day these three children climb out of the bushes. And they came up to me and they said, do you have any food? We're very, very hungry. The boy was about seven or eight. The girl was about five. And the other one, I think, is, was sitting over at a picnic table, and she was younger than that. Uh, there's three children by the same mother. 
Um, and we thought so poorly about these three children, we went out and bought them a pizza. The Good very next week, they're in a different park, and the three children come up to us again begging for food. Um, I said, where is your mother? Where is your father? Um, she, she's over in that white car in the parking lot. I walked over to the park parking lot in Riverside Park, and she is completely OD'd or, or out of it, passed out in the front seat of her car. They live in a car. There's no windshield. It's all smashed in. There's no license plates. The back window is broken out. These people, these children are living in the back seat starving and the mother is just more concerned okay so brian brian while we said you can't criminalize homelessness do you think that those kids are subject to child abuse yes i would too now what happens what happens when you go to the what happens when you go to the grants pass police and say this woman is holding three children in inhumane conditions, this is child abuse. What are you going to do about it? They can't arrest her for drug use because Oregon legalized hard drugs effectively. But how about going after the mom and saying, you shouldn't have custody of these kids if you're a drug addict living in a car and holding kids in, in these kind of conditions. It's, it's, it's child abuse. That's against the law. Will the Grants Pass PD do anything about it? No. They told me that there's a, an ordinance now in the city of Grants Pass where you can actually live in your car. And well, you, you can, can live, live in your in, car, in but is places. it safe? Is it sanitary? Is it is it child abuse to have a kid living in a car with no heat in the wintertime and not enough food? That sounds like child abuse. I'm not a lawyer and I'm not a child abuse specialist, but it sure sounds like child abuse to me, doesn't it? To you? Yes. Well, I have called CPS at least a half a dozen times, and my other members have as well. All we get from them is we'll look into it. But there is no direct evidence on our part from you of what you're saying. So we'll look into it, and if we see, you know, something, we've called the chief of police. He says, again, Brian, uh, we'll come out and take a look at it, but uh, we can't really do anything about it because there's no law against living. There is no law against living in a car, but there is a law against abusing children. I'll tell you what, let's see if we can get the Grants Pass PD to come on, maybe in the next few days, and answer that question. you got three kids living in a car with no heat and inadequate food. If that ain't child abuse, Chief, what is it? The Lars Larson Show. Just listen for five minutes. You'll feel better. More with Lars Larson right now. Welcome back to Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And as I mentioned a couple of times this week, usually this time of year, we're at the Shooting Hunting Outdoor Trade Show, which is an amazing site. It's in Las Vegas. It represents virtually everybody in the firearms industry, ammunition industry, uh, people who make equipment for both military and for police services as well. And uh, we go there because of interesting people we get to talk to, like Indiana's Attorney General Todd Rokita is the 44th and current Attorney General in a great state called Indiana. General Rokita, welcome to the program, or I should say welcome back. Yeah, hey Lars, thanks. Thanks for remembering. It's been a little bit of time, but I always love to be on. Well, I appreciate you doing that. I want to ask you about something, because 
you, your staff said you would be willing to talk about this crazy lawsuit that's been go going on involving the city of Gary, Indiana, going after Smith & Wesson for the last 20 years in court. What was that all about, or is all about? But yeah, thanks for uh, yeah correcting the tense there, um, because it is still going on. Hopefully, not for much longer. So, what happened back in the '90s? And you got to remember, Gary, Indiana, on the shores of Lake Michigan, uh, used to be the steel capital of the world. In fact, Indiana still makes the most steel of any state. Um, but it was really a booming city. It was glorious. Uh, I'm from that county. Uh, if you could see me, you'd say, feast your eyes. We have a conservative from Lake County, Indiana. <laughs> he should be in a cage on display somewhere. Um, but in the 90s, it became the murder capital of the world. And they, in, in their liberal, infinite wisdom, decided to blame that on gun manufacturers. So they filed suit. And it was just, it was more, it's grown to be more than just Smith and Wesson. It's grown to be many. Uh, and some had settled over the years and that fueled Gary's budget a little bit so it kept them motivated to keep the suit, keep the suit going. Now in these later chapters it's become a venue if you will for um, the, the, the Bloombergs of the world and the Brady organizations and all that to go and f go fishing for documents we call it the discovery process uh, not only on manufacturers but on retailers uh, going after Cabela's where they're, they're, they're trying to get uh, lists of people who are buying guns and who knows what else. And we need to put a stop to that. So the legislature, Chris Jeter, a, a, a state house representative, has filed a, a good bill. It's, I find it constitutional to basically, in, in, in a very short sentence, say, you know what? These kinds of lawsuits are prohibited in the state of Indiana. Now, now and, by the uh, way, General Rokita, final stop to this. Let, let me ask yep. you this. Is this one along the same lines of the ones that the, the left has already always dreamed of, where they say, we're going to blame the company that made a perfectly good firearm if somebody right. buys or obtains the firearm and uses it to commit a crime. That's the general idea, right? Yeah. Instead of looking at their failed policies for why their cities, like Gary, are, 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 are deteriorating, they try to blame somebody else, right? Well, when it's but, really but their it leadership, makes... their policies, the breakdown of the family itself, that kind of thing. It makes as much sense as suing Ford Motor Company if a pedestrian is hit by an F-150 because you don't blame the manufacturer of a valid uh, you know, product, whether it's a gun or a car or anything else. If they've made a good product and somebody misuses it, they're going to be going after the Ginzu Knife Company next. Right. It, it's failed logic. It's, it's, it's all they have. Uh, we're going to win it, but it's, it, it's, it, we're going to win the day on that whole issue. But in terms of this lawsuit, it's time for it to be over because uh, it's really now an economic development issue for Indiana. You know, we don't want to be known as the state that's unwelcome to gun manufacturers. We've got some great we got five or six Indiana gun manufacturers uh, here at the show. And, uh, and, and, and we believe it's a valid business. We, we, you know, Indiana's a great Second Amendment state. We want that to grow in the state of Indiana. So this lawsuit has to go away. And I'm supportive of the law in Indiana that's, uh, that's going through the process right now to finally take care of the situation. Good. I'm hoping it ends as well. Can I pick your brains on a couple of other legal matters, if, I, if you don't mind me taking a little bit of field? Yeah, sure. I, go, I, I uh, have a very low rate, and you're welcome to, to have that rate. <laughs> Well, it's, it's a prevailing wage rate for attorneys, isn't it? Um, uh, but let me ask you about Texas. So you have Texas overrun with illegal aliens, uh, which are apparently only a problem if they show up on Mayor Adams' doorstep in New York City. And Texas says we're putting up razor wire. 
and the U.S. Supreme Court decides, well, the CBP can go down and cut all the razor wire. And so now Texas, I think, has smartly responded by saying, yeah, you can cut it and we'll put up more of it, which is fine. And a lot of states, I think 24 of them, have now backed up the state of Texas and said, we're standing with Texas. Texas has a right to protect what's going on inside its state. And they're not enforcing immigration law. They're enforcing their own laws. Am I wrong legally? No, no, you're right. I went down to Texas uh, and saw with my own two eyes what's going on down there. It's been a little bit of time now, but um, they, well, Greg Abbott, my good friend Ken Paxton, the Attorney General of Texas, were doing was it was arresting illegal aliens under state laws. So forget the federal laws, but Texas has a good criminal trespass law. So as they were getting picked up, uh, they were being uh, put in jail, awaiting a hearing, due process, of course, and um, they weren't being caught and released, so to speak. Uh, so Texas has it right. I have um, asked publicly several times my governor to help uh, Texas. He has not responded. Uh, we are of the same political party, but that doesn't mean we're the same kettle of fish, right? Tell me about uh, yeah, uh, and so uh, if you go to my uh, social media right now, you'll see that I've posted uh, Greg Abbott's letter explaining exactly what he's doing and saying that, that what he's doing is is constitutional and that certainly this attorney general supports what he's doing and encouraging um, Indiana to help Texas because when you don't have a southern border, even if you're a non-border state, technically, really, we're all border states. Uh, within 48 hours of crossing that border illegally, those those illegal aliens can, are in, coming to Indiana, again, within 48 hours, uh, and, and they're not the families who want to be helped or looking for a better life and are willing to work for it. These are single uh, military-age males who are coming, probably let out of prison from their own countries, uh, to come here to do harm to Indiana. More fentanyl, more crime, sex trafficking. I mean, the, the horrors in, 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 this is Human Trafficking Month here in the United States, the yep. horrors of sex trafficking going on right now, and Biden turning, a, and these liberals turning a, a, a blind eye to that, all, all out of their failed ideology that somehow says uh, countries aren't allowed to be sovereign especially ours, <laughs> is absolutely ridiculous. So I'm still encouraging Indiana to help by sending the guard down to help Greg Abbott uh, to do whatever we can uh, to help enforce the border because ultimately it protects Indiana citizens. I'm talking to Indiana Attorney General Todd Rokita. Uh, if I can take you to another state, have you been following what's going on in Arizona right now? Because I think it has broad implications for the Republican Party. Um, I've heard about it. I, I understand. My, I, if it's about Carrie Lake, she's a, is. Uh, she is someone that I admire. I appreciate her courage. I'm a donor. Uh, I, went, I happened to be at a, a fundraiser of hers and, and, and got to talk with her. And I think she's a breath of fresh air well, for this country. I, I think so, too. General, let me ask you. If I went to Indiana and said, Todd, if you'll run for governor of Indiana, I'll, uh, I'll arrange a job for you where you don't even have to show up. You're just going to get a paycheck. Would I be breaking the law? Um, it, it's pretty fact-sensitive there. We all have free choice, right? Yeah, uh, but can I pay today. you something of value in exchange for your agreement to either run or not run? 
not sure that's illegal necessarily. It is in some states, and I was curious. Yeah. But but it, it sounds like there are people within the Republican Party, big donors, who want to go out and bribe some candidates to get out of the way, especially yeah, the ones that are Trump-like. This is, you know, Lars, we've been fighting this, you and I and so many other your listeners, this, this establishment movement for so long. These people have forgotten how to win, right? Yep. And maybe they don't want to win. Maybe it's just they think we could still go along to get along and country be damned. But we're at a point now where it should be pretty damn clear to everybody what's going on here. These are, these are really Marxist attempts to remake our economy. Absolutely and, and, right. And any, uh, any Attorney picture. General Rokita, I've got, I'm up against a break, but that's the Attorney General of Indiana, Todd Rokita. General, it's a pleasure always to have you on the show. Back in a moment. Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Check out our Instagram feed. Yeah, I've got a face for radio. That's okay. And vote in our poll on X. Well, with me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. He does the work so you don't have to. Bringing the political heat. He's Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. A friend of mine just sent me this story that just broke apparently today. I'll give full credit to Therese Bottomley down at the Daily Dead Fish Wrapper. A couple of chauffeurs a husband and wife working here in the Pacific Northwest, and they were working, uh, you know, driving people to and from the airport, and apparently one person in particular, I don't know the man, but his name is Wynn McCormick. He's very wealthy, it sounds like. I'd ask you it this way. If you've got a credit card, how wealthy would you have to be before you didn't notice $34 million over seven years, so about $5 million a year in false charges on your credit card? These two are now accused of stealing $34 million from Wynn McCormick over seven years in what federal prosecutors call a colossal heist. Uh, Sergei Lebedenko, 53, and Galena Lebedenko, 48, uh, they would provide rides to McCormick through their Portland limousine service, and they made unauthorized and inflated charges of up to $34 million over a period of seven years. They bought million-dollar houses. They bought a jet for a million and a half dollars. And apparently, the prosecutors, again, according to our friends at OregonLive.com, say that when the federal agents went in to raid the homes owned by this husband and wife chauffeur, they found 100,000 cash, 150 ounces of gold bullion worth 300 grand, 12 firearms, 
unbelievable story. We'll probably find out about it more overnight. But I want to let you know about that. That's crazy. $34 million in excess charges. And you say, yeah, it was on my credit card. I didn't really notice when they, you know, it was an extra $5 million a year, $400,000 a month, $100,000 a week. Just, okay, uh, it's a lot of cash. Let me go to RC. Hey, RC, thanks for listening on the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? Hey, Lars. Uh, first time caller. Uh, I just wanted to get back. I know it's been a while ago, and uh, uh, the widow called in uh, who, unfortunately, her spouse committed suicide, and he was a veteran. And I have nothing but respect for veterans, and especially combat veterans. Yep. But the unfortunate fact is that people are going to kill themselves no matter what, and that he swore an oath to the Constitution to protect the Second Amendment, Yep, the Bill of Rights, and and that's pretty much it. It's, well, we can't... Sorry, you know, there, RC, there are people who believe that if we got rid of guns, suicide would go away. Do you know how I can prove that's not true? You've got South Korea, yeah. which which is, you know, I mean, culturally similar to the United States. I mean, not nearly... Uh, pretty close to the same uh, per capita GDP as the U.S. So, and it's a it's a country like ours. I mean, it's on the other side of the world, but you know they're they're very similar in terms of they're not. We're not talking about Sudan or Yemen. It's a modern country, right? They have almost zero private ownership of guns. They also have one of the highest rates of suicide in the world, and that's per capita. So if you say, well, suicide would go away if just people couldn't buy guns or, or most people couldn't buy guns. South Korea is a perfect example of that. And I wouldn't from a distance, I've never been to South Korea, but I wouldn't say, well, they're really weird. They're strange and different from America. I would imagine that, you know, other than the food, the language and, you know, some elements of the culture, they're they're pro they're a, 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 an industrialized country, not a Western, but an Eastern industrialized country. So when people tell you that if you got rid of guns, suicide would go away, you're right. People find other ways to take their own lives, and that's sad. Can I tell you something else? That that lady was angry at me, and that's okay. I don't mind if people are angry at me. There are lots of Democrats who are angry at me. But she wanted to blame me because she said, you don't support saving the lives of these veterans. I do. And I asked her. I said, well, when did your husband die? And she said, five years ago. And she said, but those red flag laws weren't available. RC, I've got news for her. The red flag law, I didn't have this right in front of me, and I didn't want to depend on memory. When I do that, I get myself in trouble. But I looked it up. The red flag law for Oregon that she could have used to make sure her husband did not buy a gun was available seven years ago, 2017. And so I know that if if I lost somebody, I, I lost my mom over 50 years ago, um, uh, but I don't blame anybody other than the drunk who hit her, but I... I don't run around saying, well, it's your fault. Uh, I understand, though, why some people want to find a reason. They want to find somebody to blame for something terrible that happens in their lives. But in her case, she was saying, we have to have these red flag laws. RC, I'm concerned about those red flag laws. I'm not convinced they work very well. I don't. We haven't had that much experience in America with them. And they have the great potential. RC, say you had a friend. And you thought, I think this friend, and say it was family member, uh, is likely to commit suicide. So you go down and you get a, uh, uh, they call them extreme risk protection order against him. 
and uh, the police come and take all his guns, and they tell him, you can't go buy another gun. How do you suppose your friend might react to that? Uh, very negatively, yep. I would say. And, and maybe and... if he feels like even my friends are turning on me now, if he is truly suicidal, is there the, the possibility that you could push him right over the edge by doing that? Well, of course. He would feel uh, cornered. Uh, Betrayed. You know? Betrayed and afraid to ask for help at the same time because that's what you get, you know? Um, it is very dangerous. And the, and the red flag laws are especially dangerous because people can use them against you simply because they're not, because they're anti-gun. And you know, RC, a few years ago, a friend of mine called and said, can you take charge of my husband's guns because I want to make sure he doesn't take his own life. I had to tell her no. I said I can't because the state of Oregon, state of Washington, made that illegal to do. They got the Lars Lars. The Lars Lars. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs, but how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you, your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com.